Welcome, my friends, to the podcast that never ends, where we gather our clan and talk about peace and love in our lives, the difficulties along the journey, and how we rise up. We will experience a little thing I call cluberty together, find our sweet spot, and planting our seeds to watch them grow in our magic garden. I'm Uncle Dave, and our transformation starts right here. Hey now, and how are you doing? Today's guest at Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat is Kevin Coughlin. He's the subject of the book Unblinded, One Man's Courageous Journey Through Darkness and Sight. Hey, Kevin, so how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful day here in New York City. It's, it's nice and sunny and, and brisk out there. Okay. For those how are who, you today? I'm doing great. It's a Friday morning, and I'm just pumped up. You know, that's what I... I do my meditation in the morning, and I know you, you have a meditation practice, which yeah. we'll talk about. Um, yeah, so I, I did my meditation this morning, and I'm feeling really good. Yeah, I, I, I love meditation myself. It's, it's a big part of my uh, spiritual practice. Yeah, no, I, I know. I, we, we've, we've read, I've read your book, and I'm going to suggest to everybody to pick up a copy of Unblinded. It's a motivational book, if you've ever heard of anything. And for those who don't know about it, it's... Kevin was actually a market researcher in his previous life, and well, still in his life, and he eventually had this condition uh, where he lost his, his, his eyesight. And through losing his eyesight, he had gone through challenges. Can you imagine it? At 35, losing your eyesight, and then through living through those challenges, managing those challenges, it changed him. And that's what we're going to talk about today, about how he rose from his ashes and was a, was a phoenix. So, Kevin, now, I can't imagine how, and it, all the, the loss of your eyesight was within a week. That had to be amazingly you know, <laughs> traumatic, to say the least. It's, it's difficult to put into words. So, I was a thoroughly vision, visual person, so... Uh, losing one sight would be devastating for anyone, but I was someone who, from the time I was 14 years old, my hobby was photography. I got my first Canon AE1 at age 14, and I would obsess about photographing buildings. Specifically, I, I photographed black and white, and I loved to photograph skyscrapers and details of skyscrapers. And I would, I would circle a particular building for hours until the right amount of shadow and light was there before I shot the pictures. I was also a gallery goer. I went to museums. So, so for this to happen so suddenly and without warning was devastating. And, uh, so, um, to go from 2020 to blind in less than two weeks time, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to even to, to, to talk about, but, but that's it. I, I, I lived through it. Yeah, no. Well, you, you've actually excelled. I mean, you know, again, I, I've read the book, but the, the the challenge. I can't imagine the challenge. And the, the funny thing is, when I saw that you uh, was in the book, you didn't mention that you had the you know, Canon AE one, and I was going to ask you about that because that was my first camera. Also, uh, for my bar mitzvah, I used my money to, and I'm still using a can. I'm still using Canons. Uh, I'm also That's so funny. I got mine from my paper route money. Was my first day he won. <laughs> yeah, my yeah, I, I had a paper route also. My, my news newsday paper route. <laughs> I grew up in Brooklyn, so my, my paper route was the New York Post at that time. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was pre Murdoch actually. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I, that was one of the other things that I, I really enjoyed. That I knew that you were a photographer, and I didn't know, you know, what type of camera. And I was like, oh, Canon. I, I was like, I got to ask him that question about the AE one, which was the the premier camera at that time, right? It had that. Yeah. You know, it, it had the, the special program and, and things like that. Um, yeah. So and, we, and a few of my favorite photographs are in the book as well. Yeah, no, I saw the picture of uh, the Watergate. That's another reason that people should buy the book. Even if you just spend a few minutes to look at those pictures, the picture of the Watergate building was incredible. Would you want to share with that, uh, us how you, you took that picture? Yeah, and that, that was one I alluded to earlier in the sense of, of following a building and walking around a building for, for hours or days until the lighting was just right. So I was living in Washington, D.C. at the time, and and – the Watergate buildings on the surface, to me, they were kind of nondescript. They're kind of like, you know, three oval buildings and, and nothing, you know, really, nothing really caught my eye in terms of wanting to photograph them. And then one day I was like two and a half blocks away at an Exxon station, a gas station. And I just looked up and it was a great angle of just how, so there are curved terraces that wrap around the one building that's a residential condo. And the points of the, the uh, wraps of, of metal and uh, concrete, the way they wrap the terraces just were creating this really interesting pattern that almost was like, a, almost like, a, like an oriental pagoda. And I just really loved that angle. So, so I literally lied down next to the gas pumps. And, and I remember I was, I was wearing like khaki shorts. I'm like, yeah, what do I care? I want to take a photograph. So I lied down at this, you know, greasy, oily gas station. But I got a, I got a great shot of the Watergate. So it's like no one, like people don't think it's a building because it looks, it looks so different. You know, my, my, my perspective, what my eyes saw in that shot. That's incredible. Yeah. And perspective is huge, but that's incredible that you were down at the. I didn't even know that there was a gas station across there. You know, we've seen the pictures because of uh, Nixon's fun times at at yeah. the Watergate. Yeah. But to see that building differently, and that that's the greatness of being able to see things in different perspectives. And you even mentioned that a few times in your book. Eventually, uh, how you were able to see different perspectives when you couldn't see, and how. The, those challenges, how the challenge of sight became actually one of your strengths to help you change your perspective on things. Yeah, it 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 was it was a long journey, like like you know all of us go through. But ideally, um, the loss of my sight became such a power in it really changed, uh, you know, how I am as a, per a person in that I just kind of found this inner strength. And I went from being a person who had zero spirituality to a person who, um, you know, learned to meditate. And a large part of my, uh, my journey is also doing affirmations and, uh, um, a lot of that, uh, stem from, um, you know, people say the craziest things, you know, uh, when you, you have a disability, sometimes, you know, people just, so it's, it's one thing or the other. So either the people don't engage with you at all because they're, they're totally weirded out by the fact that you are in any way different, or they just say really crazy inappropriate things. And, or they think that, 
you know, the disabled person is in some way, like I call it globally disabled. So it's like, you're not just blind. You've got to be deaf. You've got to be intellectually impaired. You've got to like have multiple things wrong. So it's like, you know, so, so, um, one, one time I was, um, just sharing a cab with a, a friend of a friend after a party and, uh, we're getting out of the cab, getting out of the cab. And this person who I shared the cab with said, I just want to let you know the reason I felt comfortable sharing a cab with you is because I grew up in the ruling class in Chile and we were always taught by our family to speak to the downtrodden. (laughs) So it's like, how do you respond to something like that? I got out of the car and I was like, the next day I literally started doing affirmations because a friend had been told me that he'd been doing them for years. I was very I was very skeptical. I'm like, that sounds silly and it sounds hokey. And the first one I started doing was, I am open and approachable. I am not my blindness. And then I would do it three times. I am open and approachable. I am not my blindness. I'm open and approachable. I'm not my blindness. And within three days of doing that, I felt better and had a lightness that came over me. So yeah, they work. It's really incredible because I also, you know, five or six years ago, I would have never believed any of this what people will call hokey, uh, you know, the, yeah. the affirmations and the, the yeah. spirituality part, part of it. And, and I've had this conversation with our, our mutual friend, Tracy, uh, and also how we embrace things differently after we start experiencing it. Unfortunately, most of us can't do it unless we've gone through something horrible, uh, you, yeah. you know, that, that, that is really changing our perspectives. Um, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention it to you uh, about the. Uh, that was one of my notes about the. I am yeah. open and approachable. I loved that idea, and because I do affirmations also in the morning, I, I think that's something that we should all do. Uh, are you still using that affirmation, or is there? It, it's it. Well, my affirmations change according to how I am changing or what I want to manifest in my life. So sometimes my affirmations are more practical or more in the moment. So like uh, Tracy and I got our publisher through affirmations. I mean, of course, we, we sent about 90 proposals, but ultimately I, we were both doing affirmations to, to, <laughs> land the, to land the publisher. So now, now we're doing affirmations to, to sell the, the film or television rights. That, that's what we're working on. Yeah, I, I, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I'm going to you know, push out and, and try to see how I can assist you on that. Again, it's a, yeah. one of those connections that, that you, you know, all you need is a, is that opportunity because your your story is is incredible and I remember talking to Tracy about it and then reading the book and again I'm gonna keep passing this out this whole week is so you need to get get this book and read it if you need no matter what you're going through you definitely have inspired uh, because you've also learned that wor- how words can be really powerful I know when you were a child they they used less kind words when you were playing ball and then even at the beginning of your eyesight loss there was you know words right the, the word blind you you were sort of running away from some of those words as well because as part of the, the yeah as well as the first time you know words are, are powerful and, and words can affirm and uplift but they can you know hurt and cripple too and the first time I, I heard someone refer to me as handicapped I mean I was just I couldn't believe it I mean it was my mom and, you know, she thought nothing of it. It was, you know, she didn't, you know, mean to say it. We were just, we were in a, a shopping center in Long Island and we'd just gone to, actually, we'd gone to Petco to get, to get dog food. And my mom is like, 
it's so great because of you and your dad. I've got that handicap sticker that I can put on my mirror and I can park really close. You know, we don't have to walk that far. I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> handicap? What? I, I was like, I was like, a I was like, don't say that word. I said that, you know, I just, I just felt damaged and broken and, you know, just, and that's one of the, you know, so many, so many words are, are like that. And that's why, um, one thing I say, so so I do motivational speaking as well, and uh, one thing I, I generally say when I, when I'm closing the program is I, I invite people if they meet a person who's disabled, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a person who has a, a visual impairment. It could be a person that has a physical impairment. I say, please don't say to that person, do you need help? The first thing you should say is, hello. How are you? Or compliment them. I like your sweater or, you know, I hope you have a great day. So like disabled people, nine times out of 10 don't need any help. They just want to be acknowledged and affirmed like every person. You know, and people have probably heard, you know, Oprah, who's interviewed thousands and thousands of people. She said the one thing all of the people had in common is they just all wanted to be acknowledged and recognized. So no one wants to be different or marginalized. Yeah, that's the shame of our society is we always look for the differences rather than the, yeah. the commonalities. You know, I, I embrace the, the Japanese have that, uh, it's called kingsui. Uh, I'm probably saying it wrong and I apologize, but it's if a, if a bowl breaks, they repair it and they make sure that in the cracks they repair it with gold or silver or something to oh, highlight. That's, that's great. I, I've heard of that. Yeah, they're really beautiful when they, when they you know, they're redone. Yeah, and and that's what I and that's why I don't like to say broken, right? We're not broken. We just yeah. needed a little bit more care at, at sometimes than than others. And so true. You know, that, that's that's really one of the the powerful pieces. Now, going through your experience, I mean, even the the experience of the first time that you chose that you were strong enough to to get a cane, that was a a, a challenge that you you faced and you might not have succeeded if you weren't persistent and had a little assistance. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, um, going to, uh, the, the lighthouse store to, to purchase, uh, a cane. I just, uh, I had been in a support group and, uh, members of the support group had said to me, I think, I think it's time you need, you need to, to get a cane. And I was, I was on a waiting list, uh, to get mobility training, but it was going to be another three months before I was to start the training. But yet I still needed a cane because my vision was, you know, nothing next to nothing. I had a tiny bit of light perception out of the left corner of my left eye, but it wasn't really vision. It was just the absence of, you know, darkness or light. So I went to the store and I just, you know, went, went up to the, to the cashier and I said, Oh, I'd, I'd like to get a cane. You know, how do I, how do I? And so, so, um, she got the manager and he started measuring because they measure the cane according, according to your height and, uh, you know, like from your, your feet to your sternum. So he measures me and, you know, um, you know, going to go to the cashier and pay for it. And he's like, oh, you know, bef- before that, we have a couple of questions. He's like, are you certified as being mobile by the state of New York? And I'm like, you know, no, you know, but I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm a waiting list to get trading. So, so another part of the store, you know, I hear there's this uh, other customer who's an actress and she is actually studying for a part playing a blind person on a soap opera. And, uh, another, 
met, she got the manager's attention and she said she just wanted some uh, tips on to how to use the cane. So he not only was instructing her and, in, you know, basic tips on how to use the cane, but he was going to let her borrow the cane. So he was going to let her borrow the cane and he wasn't going to sell me a cane and I really needed it. So it, and it was crazy. And it just, you know, but I, for some reason I wasn't going to leave that store until I got my cane. I just was very, just in a crazy persistent mood that I just knew that I had to get that cane. And this actress ended up, you know, talking the manager to selling me a cane. He's like, if you, she was like, if you're going to give one to me, you know, for this, acting role and this guy really needs a cane you've got to sell it to him so that's a crazy story but it really happened so yeah which which is also great one that shows also your persistence i mean i think that's when we go through something we have to be persistent into what we want but also we sometimes need a little bit of help and yeah. th this woman luckily she could have been just focused on getting the cane for herself because at that point they might have even risked not giving her the the cane for you know to practice for her acting but, and uh, she was kind and empathetic, and, and she saw the need there, so yeah, she stepped in. And, and you, you had another uh, instance, so, uh, sort of around the same time, where you wanted to see a Jackson Pollock exhibit at the at MoMA, even though you weren't sighted and nobody wanted to help you out at that time, right? That was another uh, long process to ultimately get a... So, as I uh, mentioned earlier, I was an art lover and uh, there was a big Jackson Pollock retrospective um, about a year after I lost my vision. So I called up the main main number at MoMA and, you know, asked if I could uh, somehow, you know, get a get a tour of, of the Pollock exhibit. And they kept saying to me, so like, uh, you're welcome to come and feel a Rockefeller sculpture collection. I was like, I have no desire to come and feel your Rockefeller sculpture collection. I, I would like a tour of the Pollock exhibit. So then I called back again, the same thing. You're welcome to come. So um, I just kept getting, you know, dead ends and, and nowhere. And then, then finally I thought, well, why don't I just leave a message for someone in the curatorial staff, you know, who's more, you know, hands-on with the exhibit itself. And, I did and, you know, didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden I get a call back from one of the curators of the exhibit and she, you know, we made arrangements to meet and it was a wonderful experience. I mean, she was incredible and kind. And, you know, since there were over 150 works, there wasn't any way that she could describe all of them to me, but she picked 18 seminal works and, you know, described each one and, and about, you know, what, that represented in the period of his career and, and also his, you know, his personal life, as well as they had a replica of his studio in East Hampton where he painted. And she actually was so perceptive that she kind of, we kind of walked out the, you know, by stepping through the actual, you know, to get the actual feel of the different canvases. Cause they had a couple of canvases on the floor. So she was so, you know, kind and empathetic that it was a, it was a wonderful experience. I just, I just, you know, have so many fond memories of that, that Pollock exhibit. That's amazing. I, you know, I never, I hadn't even thought of things like that, uh, that you, how you can do that. And that, yeah. but that's also shows your persistence, uh, how you took an opportunity uh, when everybody's telling you no to find your yes. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I think those type of perspective, uh, you know, I mean, that's one of the things about photography, uh, uh, you know, to go back to the, your photography is 
you always had that patience by walking around the buildings and, and looking at it. And I know later in life, when uh, you, you still were unsighted, you were you you had gotten a friend to go to the Brooklyn Bridge to help you start taking photos again or, or working with you finding the way yeah to- so um, yeah I um, when I was was fully sighted and taking photographs there were always some subjects that I never got to do and one of them was the Brooklyn Bridge and one day I heard a friend mention that he loved photographing buildings and, you know, and structures. So it's, so one day I, you know, I, I said to him, his name was Jay. I said, you know, this is going to sound a little odd, but would you consider a project with me where you're, you're my eyes, you're using the camera and I'm kind of the art director directing you as to the different angles I'd like to, I'd like to capture and he's like, sure, that sounds like fun. And the first project we did was the Brooklyn Bridge, and it was it was a wonderful experience. It was a cold January morning, and we got some great black and white shots of the different towers and angled angled views of the cables, and just it was he was able to you know capture exactly what I was looking for. It was a wonderful experience. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and so that was the only instance that they mentioned. Uh, you mentioned in the book. Have you done that since? Have you done that a couple of times? Um, we did. We did another building, which is um, a famous apartment building on the Upper West Side, the San Remo. Hmm. That's in the in the seventies, and there's there's two uh, two twin towers. That's how it's distinctive on uh, you know by the park. And and I wanted to photograph that building, so so we did that building as well, and that those came out great too. I can imagine. That's uh, you know one of the things that, that's so admired. And again, uh, so many inspiring pieces. I know you also uh, are a recovery warrior, and by that I mean you know I've I was uh, a recovery uh, advocate, coach, and advocate for a number of years, and I know the difficulties of overcoming uh, the struggles of recovery. And you had done that, and I want to acknowledge that just because. It, 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 though it's not easy, you and you did it a lot, most of it by yourself. At least in the book, yeah. you went through uh, the, the challenges. Yeah, getting sober is the the thing in my life that I'm most proud of, and uh, it's it's a recovery is is a huge is a huge part of my life. Yeah, and, you know, I just wanted to acknowledge that, and uh, because you know, throughout your life, what I'll call is those phoenix moments. I mean, just in the book, what I what you've shared, and I'm sure that's not all the stories that you shared is, you know, so many moments in your life when you could have given up, but you've chosen to, to not, uh, I, I mean, even, uh, at the beginning you, you had lost your job, but then you found, uh, employment again. I, I did. I was able to, uh, uh, to become a grants writer at, uh, AFB, the American foundation for the blind. And that, that was a great experience, but you know, just end up being, being short lived, but it was, it was, it was great to go back to work. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine all the technology that you needed to, or the new skills you needed to, to learn, uh, to start typing and to be a successful grant writer. So anybody could be, you know, I've tried to write grants and I've yet to been been accepted to writing a grant. Uh, so just being a successful grant writer. And and at that time you had gotten the, one of the largest grants the organization had ever received. Yeah, I, 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 I was quite successful and, uh, just, I, I, enjoyed it quite a bit too. 
Now, um, and I think this was not, there was, there was also the experience, so I, 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 we talked a little bit before uh, the, this interview about the cyclone. Uh, so for me, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, so the, the sounds and the smells of, of the ocean are always uh, prevalent. I, I can always hear it, and I, I'm, I'm living on Long Island, so I'm still near the, the water. But the, yeah. the cyclone, uh, you and I seem to have different experiences of it, and I, I'd love to hear your experience, and then I'll share you my experience. Okay. Well, it was, it was actually a, a, a work, uh, a work trip when I, when I worked at, at AFB and, uh, I had always been petrified to go on the cyclone as, as a child. So I was reluctant to go on and, you know, just, just, just very, you know, very afraid and a little, a little panicked and, you know, thought I was going to get sick. But then, you know, when, when it started and it just, you know, we go, the car was going up and just, I just, all of a sudden I, I felt this exhilaration and it just was, was a wonderful freeing, just the free fall and just the, the, so it was such a different experience without sight that it was, it was, it was freeing and, and it, it just felt amazing. Whereas something that had always been very, um, easy and I thought would just be fun was the bumper cars. And that was a completely opposite experience. That was scary and, and, and frightening because of the back and forth and then not, not knowing, you know, the, the, what was coming next. Sure. Sure. Uh, I love to hear the, the, the freeing, but that's that flying moment. That's uh, probably at that moment was, you know, so freeing because you got to experience it on so many levels, not in the site, but, through all the other emotions. And I think that's what's very powerful for us is when we are able to engage in all of our other senses as well. So eventually I, I know you, you had, uh, had gotten a, a companion, a, a, do, a, a companion dog to help you guide through it. How has been that experience? Because I know you, you're, you now have your second dog, uh, Elias, which I, I looked up uh, the, the name Elias and yeah, in the Bible, it says it's a strong Lord, the strength of the Lord. And I, when reading your book, as I, I, I heard about your pain of Ruger at, when you had sent him to retirement, and then when Elias came into you and how you both are strong, and I've heard the stories about you and Elias about the strength that you guys bring each other. I was like, wow, how you've converted to be very spiritual and how Elias means the strength of the Lord. I, I thought that was a, a good connection an amazing connection. yeah elias is a black lab and he is just all about serenity and he's just so he, his serenity has rubbed off me and he's just this peaceful great dog and he he hasn't worked as a, a seeing eye dog for many years because of my sight has gotten so much better so he's he's a pet now but it's it's just he's just an extraordinary presence in my life and he's a just amazing dog. And, and what's interesting is, um, he, d older dogs, uh, sometimes get vertigo as, as do people. And he's currently suffering from a, about a vertigo where he's, you know, he just has, has no balance and, and can't, you know, walk on his own. So it's, it's, it's nice to finally have the tables turned where I'm able to just take care of him after, you know, as he took care of me for those, 
those several years. And it's, it's just, so he's got this special back brace on, you know, with a handle and, you know, he's on a leash and I slowly, you know, walk him out, you know, when he needs to do his business and it's just, but he's, he's still very, very shaky. And the only cure for vertigo is, is basically just sleep. So uh, he's slowly getting better, but that's, that's the story with Elias at the moment. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I had vertigo as a young child. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I know how that experience, I can't imagine for a dog, you know, uh, there's only so much you can explain, but it's that piece yeah. of gratitude that I think that you, you've, you've learned uh, to be gratitude, not only in your meditation practice, but the, the pieces of gratitude has, has, has really taken over your life a little bit. Yeah, gratitude is an enormous part of my life. Um, you know, I mentioned affirmations, but gratitude is a, is a great part as well. And for the longest time, I was only expressing gratitude for the good stuff. And then it was probably about maybe June or July, one day in the morning, because I, I sit in quiet in the morning and it's sometimes it's, so it, it's not always the same. Sometimes it's, it's prayer, sometimes it's affirmation, sometimes it's meditation. So there's different, different amounts of, of, of each in the morning. But this particular morning I said, I need to be grateful for the entire, you know, the entire enchilada, the, the kit and caboodle of all my journey. So now rather than just the good stuff, I say, um, thank you. I, I, I'm thankful for the loss, the pain, the anger, the strength, the resilience, the patience, the love, the kindness, and the empathy. So I say the entire, everything, all the lessons from the journey, not just, not just the good stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, and, uh, I too, through my challenges, uh, I start to embrace everything because everything, there's a lesson in everything we go through. And if we look at it, uh, and you have not played the victim in any of your stories that I've heard, uh, and that's the powerful part, is being able to see that the, the lesson or what opportunity is the universe trying to teach me. As I also like in the book, there was the, the, the Jack Kornfield uh, quote, we need to accept that the mind has a mind of its own. And it's how we see the situations and the perspectives of, of what we do. And how we and he he's my meditate. That's how I learned to meditate by listening to his his lectures. I mean, he's he's just an amazing, just very peaceful, kind soul. Yeah, no, and he he is one of those people. Once you start reading the things that he says and listening to those, it, it does change you. It, once you give over to the the idea, the the process of that, if you sat and controlled yourself. You can then change the world. Yeah. And the key is not judging, not saying, oh, I, you know, I suck at meditation. I'll never do this. Once you let go of the judgment is, is when you're able to, to do it. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing when you, when you generally sit with people and they're like, oh, I can't meditate. I'm like, no, no, you, you haven't done it enough to build up that resiliency. So I, I use a lot of R words and I heard you mention the word R, resilience. Do you have a favorite yeah. R word? I guess renewal. Awesome. Yeah. Because yeah. so, much, so much of my healing has been renewal in terms of nutritional renewal of my body, but also renewal of, I, I had zero spirituality before, um, before I got sober. So, so that's been a great renewal in my life as well. Yeah, I mean, you've definitely you know, recharged yourself and, and renewed yourself. I mean, that's that rise that I talk about with the Phoenix, yeah. using the Phoenix metaphor. 
Um, all right. Now, is there any like, um, is there any favorite quote that you like to use to besides your affirmations? I know. I, I know. In the book, one of your personal quotes that you, at least it's your writing. You, you wrote, "I see God as all of a spirit that is everything and in present in." In all that is good, from the tiniest life form to the largest scenic landscape and everything in between, I am sure that definition is inadequate, but that is close to what I believe right now. Is that still accurate for you? Sorry, it's it is fully accurate. It's it, you know I see it as a force, as a as spirit, and and I think my concept sometimes changes. So sometimes I'll actually say God. Sometimes I'll say a higher power. Sometimes. It's just more of a force, but I but I do see it as as all love, and uh, all all good in life. And where's a where's a kid? So I, I was raised Catholic, and and I had this view of a a quote God or a higher power was this punishing, vengeful thing. So I've created one, you know, in my life now that's that's kind and loving and and supportive. Yeah, I, I I I definitely agree with you. Uh, I grew up uh, with a Jewish Jewish faith, and uh, you know, with with the you can't do this, you can't do that, and I'm like, well, what's going to happen? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, do the Jewish paratroopers jump out of the sky and you know beat me? You know, and I yeah. and, and how I've explained it is it's just your relationship with God or whatever you want the God force or or things like that. Uh, that's why once I started learning a little bit more about like Buddhism. And Reiki, I'm a Reiki practitioner. So you just like it's, it's an energy, right? You you feel the energy, the force. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I know I've used a lot of your time. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with? I mean, you, you again. I'm going to tell everybody: go get the book, listen to the story. Yeah. You know, check your check out you, and let's let's hope this movie gets made. Let's hope the, a a movie about this because this is an incredible story. Because you, you did. Oh, actually, before we end it, you did regain your sight a little bit. Um, I've, I've, it's been a been a slow journey, but through nutrition and prayer and affirmation, I've I've gotten about eighty five percent of my vision back. So I can't yet read, but it's getting better and better, and the clarity is slowly continues to get better, and the definition continues to get better and better. In terms of you know what I would like to to leave. Um, with the listeners is that to me, you know, the book is called Unblinded, but to me, blindness is a bit player in the, in the story. The real focus is how anyone who has any life altering event, it could be, you know, loss of a relationship, loss of a job, um, uh, terminal illness. I think we all feel overwhelmed initially we we have this feeling of overwhelm and we feel that we can't get through it there's no way we can get through it but i i I want through the book to share that we all have that resilience and that strength that we can tap into whether we tap into it through spirituality or whatever other form you know you want to use we all can tap into and find that strength to not only get through whatever it is, but to thrive after, you know, having gone through whatever that, that life-altering event is. Yeah, that, that, that's the part, is not only getting through it, but thriving afterwards. That, yeah. Okay. Thank you again for all, 
the, the, your, your generous use of time, and I appreciate your story. And let's keep uh, putting in an extra affirmation in my in my meditation, so that way you guys can get your the movie, which I think would be amazing to hear your story and just put it out there. So many people need to hear these type of stories, especially in these days when we're bombarded by all the negativity. And this is definitely not a negative book. This has made me feel great after. And there's such a lack of hope. I I think so many people, so many people need hope in this, you know, pandemic times for sure. So it's a very hopeful, uplifting book. Definitely. Definitely. Okay. And for the audience, just remember when you find your peace and your love, please embrace it. But there's times when you need to take a bat. And when you do take that bat, find that sweet spot and enjoy the day. Thank you. I am really glad that you're enjoying the show. And I hope you follow us on all the podcast hosting sites, as well as Facebook, Peace, Love, and Bring a Bat. Or you can follow me, Uncle Dave, David Chemetsky, at Facebook, Instagram, Clubhouse, and www davidshemetsky.com. I also would enjoy for you to contact me if you want to just have some feedback. You need somebody to talk to at peacelovebringabat at gmail.com. Well, my friends, today's journey has come to a close. I hope the seeds of peace and love continue to grow for each one of you. Remember the peace and love surround you that will assist you to rise again. And don't forget to bring a bat for what you believe in. Namaste.